0: Welcome to this episode of Same Same But Different. I am your host Claudette Lapitan. Today we welcome Dr. Sunshine Camaloni, writer, advocate and human, it says on her website, which I love. Sunshine is the author of Understanding Racism in a Post-Racial World and runs an embodied equity program for female leaders and service business owners. Sunshine, I really love reading and learning more about the work that you do. Your advocacy and work runs really deep within the individual, and I'm really happy you've joined us today. Do you mind please starting off by telling us about yourself and why the topic of diversity and inclusion is important to you?
1: Sure, so thank you so much Claudette for having me. It's really exciting to be here on the show. Um, so, as you said, I consider myself a writer, first and foremost. It's always been it's my first love. I've done it since I was little. So, it's the thing that I gravitate towards all the time. Um, I'm also an advocate for social justice. That's, like, something that's very dear to me, and so I'm very passionate about that. And I feel like I'm a, I'm a protector and promoter of all things that promote, you know, humanity and sort of, like, Uh, protecting humanity um, social justice how people interact with each other in the world so those are things that are really important to me Um, I'm also African-Australian so I moved to Australia in 2009 and then I became a citizen last year just before we went down into quarantine so wonderful that was such a milestone for me and I was very excited thank you Um, So as far as why diversity and inclusion is important to me, it's always been an interest of mine. Like I remember growing up in Zambia, in Africa, Southern Africa, and just being fascinated by difference, like different cultures. Zambia has got 72 languages, 72 tribes. So, you know, I grew up in a place where diversity was the, the norm. So I was very fascinated by that. Fascinated by difference of you know skin color, neurodiversity, so all kinds of difference was interesting to me. But the other part of it is that I am a black woman, so I'm an African black woman, so I'm very visibly different. Mm -hmm. So I carry difference on my body and my skin. So it's it's something that I cannot afford to take. You know, I don't have the luxury or the privilege to ignore it. So it's something that's personal to me. Definitely. Um, Yeah, so it's out of experience of experiencing the world. It's just become something that's really important to me.
0: In your work as an advocate at Monash University and in working for yourself, what kind of challenges are you tackling with the people that you're working with?
1: Mm. So in terms of my work as an advocate at the Monash University, I work primarily with students. So I'm supporting students throughout their you know, candidature or courses at Monash. So it's all general um, general concerns about policies and procedures, and they're just there, you know, how their course is unfolding. But I also get students, particularly international students, who report experiences of racism, mm-hmm. um, microaggressions, you know, comments about their culture, comments about their work ethics, usually in the negative, like, you know, they, do- they don't work as hard as domestic students, so things like that. So I get a lot of those kinds of complaints, and then I have to field them and support them through the process of trying to report those um, experiences. And the challenging thing is that there is a gap between um, those experiences and the policies and procedures that are meant to protect students from those kinds of experiences. Mm. So usually students find themselves in a situation where they're asked to prove that this incident actually occurred. You know, and so it's a very challenging, it's very challenging for them because then it's an experience that they've experienced, but then they're now being asked to prove it. How do you prove that someone was being racist? Sometimes it's not, it's not clear. Some, other times it is when someone says a racist thing to you, you can easily say, well, that's not the right, you shouldn't say that. But other times it's an experience of, you know, the experience of exclusion or not belonging or not feeling welcome. Um, or someone making a comment about the way you dress, which is culturally like it's it's mm. all things that sometimes can be very subtle and students don't have the language to be able to articulate or prove that, you know, that's you know, a proof that satisfies the policy in order for the university to do something about it.
0: Yeah, how difficult is that? Now, you mentioned there having the language to talk about it, uh, and I know I'm familiar with this term microaggressions, but Mm -hmm. I know that some of our listeners, it might be quite new to them. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you could tell us about microaggressions or an example or something like that so that people who are hearing that
1: term for the first time Mm -hmm. might be able to relate to it a little bit better? Sure. So microaggression, it's... so. I would say I guess to put it plainly a microaggression these are subtle experiences that people of color experience that point to that are racist in nature but they're not overtly racist so mm. it's you know someone sort of sometimes mm. wanting to touch your hair for example or commenting making a comment about your your complexion or things that as a person of colour, they, they point to your difference and not in a positive way. So in a negative way. Um, Yeah, no,
0: I definitely understand what you're saying there. Thank you for, for helping us out with that definition. I know that you work yourself to advocate for others, but do you mind sharing with us some of the obstacles that you as an individual have faced either professionally or in the community and how you've overcome these obstacles?
1: Mm. Um, so initially, when I first came, I found that some of the challenges that I had as a, an African Black woman were very, um, very overt, so very clear. So I had experiences like um, getting stared at on public transport all the time, or people refusing to sit next to me, um, or you know, being told, I remember applying for a job and I was told that my culture was not the right one for the job. And then I also worked uh, once at a, you know, where I was w- working the front desk. Um, and I used to deal with a lot of, I used to field a lot of phone calls. So I talked to people a lot and then, you know, they'll get to know my name and would have conversations about whatever the issue was. And then they would show up at the desk and then they would, you know, they would say, can I speak to sunshine and then I'll say this is sunshine and then they'll be like oh that's you know Mm. they'll just be so shocked at seeing the difference and so that's all but your English is very good um and then from then on they'll say okay can I speak to someone else I've had situations where um people ask for somebody else other than me Um, because they don't want to work with me so this you know these were experiences that I had that were very overt initially Mm -hmm. but recently I've been experiencing a much more subtle um, experience of uh, the challenges which have been more to do with mobility through white spaces so um, for example as a woman of color having challenges moving through the workspace or um, progressing in your career or getting things done in a particular Um, like project Mm. whereas you see other people you know your colleagues who are you know they're not people of color but they have a much 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 easier mobility through particular circumstances in the workspace
0: yeah so how are you tackling it then
1: well it's it's been very challenging Um, um so one of the things that I have had to learn to do has been to speak up Um, And this is something that's very uncomfortable for people of color, particularly if you're like a migrant, you're new to the culture and you're just settling in, you're trying, you know, you're very dedicated and focused on your career, but then you're experiencing all these um, microaggressions, all these inexplicable experiences about that cast doubt on your your ability to do the work. Um, But being able to speak up and to speak about them has really been helpful for me Um, and, So yeah, so being able to speak about the experiences has been something that's been really helpful for me and being able to name the actual um, experience because initially the pressure, there's a lot of pressure to take responsibility for these kinds of experiences because as you know we live in a culture where it's very, speaking about racism in Australia is not is not popular like you you, you. that's right we did speak about that isn't it we're
0: still very careful when we talk about racism that's cautious about it people aren't really comfortable speaking about it at all so it is really the onus is on the people of color to actually speak up which is then an added burden and it's just puts us in even more uncomfortable situation yeah Um, so you're just getting better at doing it yourself I suppose
1: well, I, I have over the years because I've been in this country for 11, 12 years now. So, and I'm looking at the difference between when I first came and where I am right now and being, having studied in the in the field and area as well. So there is a confidence that has grown with me and also being able to sort of cultivate the language to express myself. But I think one of the key things is to be able to um to, to affirm yourself when you as a woman of color or a person of color experiencing having a racist experience to be able to say to yourself this shouldn't be happening it's not I am not the cause of it because a lot of times we internalize those experiences and then we start blaming ourselves and then it affects our self-esteem or you know we become we lose our confidence so it's it's, it's a it's a vicious cycle so yeah so I I, I think it's really important to be able to name Experience, yeah, definitely. I know that I've
0: actually found it really helpful becoming an advocate mm-hmm. because, in um, being passionate about helping other people, I've found the voice for myself. I think, mm-hmm. like, it's always easier to give other people advice and strength, but mm-hmm. for yourself, you kind of go, Oh, well, maybe I maybe I heard that wrong, or maybe yeah. I maybe I was, um, you know, um, yeah, I didn't receive that information in the correct way, or they mm-hmm. they meant well, um, but in having that voice for other the people i know that we initially spoke um when you were about you being a guest on the podcast and we connected over that the concept of that load that we bear with you Mm -hmm. being a black woman and me being an asian woman um and yet also being the ones who have to educate those around us about the struggles that we face Um, can you speak more about how you navigate all that that brings? Because I know for myself, yeah, we've mentioned that, you know, I've found strength in being an advocate for others, but is it exhausting for you basically? <laughs> because I know that I've sometimes feel like I hit a wall because I feel like I'm, you know, there's so much there to educate other myself mm. and
1: other people. How are you going with it? Mm. Well, initially I think I took it in my stride because coming from the background of being interested in difference and race and diversity I, I thought it was my calling to educate one and all about you know how to treat other people that don't that look different from yes. you um, so I took it in my stride but it is absolutely exhausting to have to be you um, Educator, but also having to recall those experiences at the same time. I think it's there's a there's a way in which it re-traumatizes you as well, particularly if your experiences have been quite um, intense and very volatile. Uh, because sometimes, you know, even 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 the very subtle microaggressions, like people wanting to touch your hair all the time, mm-hmm. those you know they because they point, they continually point to your difference. You start. You know you start becoming self-conscious about yourself and about the spaces you're in so there's a way in which having to educate people having to recall those experiences over and over again can be quite stressful for people yeah. of color um so I definitely found it really exhausting um and Again, for me, it's become very important to feel safe as a person of color, as a woman of color. So, beginning to, to prioritize my own um, emotional, and mental well-being and safety, I don't always have to educate people about race and difference and diversity. Um, so, I think stepping back from that role in moments when I need to step back has been instrumental in helping me protect myself um but I think going back to the, the point you made about being able to advocate for others I think when you're in that when you take on that role there's there's an energy that comes with that because you're being you're being a defender for others so you have the energy you have the passion and so I think we need to do that for each other I think if the person who's doing that for others needs someone else to do that for them as well to be able to protect each other and sort of you know, preserve the energy to keep going? I was just thinking that when
0: you said that there's confidence in the work that we do that you you gain when you're advocating for others and there's confidence in speaking up for yourself I suppose I'm starting to learn that you need to have confidence as well to step away like you're saying and to Mm -hmm. say that that's enough Mm -hmm. and um, you know advocate first of all for yourself Mm -hmm. even if that means um, taking a bit of time away so that you can recharge again. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm finding that In comparison to discussions and papers that I read from the States or in the UK in relation to race discrimination and unconscious bias, I know we alluded to it before that in Australia, we still tend to tiptoe around the topic in the workplace. Is that your experience and why do you think that is? How do we get to impacting real change if we're being so delicate in our discussions?
1: Mm, That's a great question um I s- definitely think that we we do tend to tiptoe around the the topic. Um, and I, I think in my experience I've observed my observation and my experience has been that there's a an assumption or an impression that when we call out racism in this country we're actually attacking Australia. there's like the identity of Australianness that we are actually sort of um, laying bare yes. and kind of hacking away at it <laughs> yes. um, by That's sort awesome. of pointing to the to the things that don't work in the country. Um, so there's a there's a sense in which people are very sensitive mm-hmm. about identity and I think it points to It points to insecurity because Australia is a very young nation it's Mm. not as old as some other you know like the US or or Britain and so there's a there's still our history is quite very fresh and you can see it in the visceral reaction of people you know whenever you talk about aboriginal rights or land or just migrants and Mm. anything to do with difference and culture and race diversity there's a there's a sense people get really defend defensive about it so I think there's a, there's a lot of insensitivity around that I think your other question was what why how do we get to impacting real change, real change? Uh, because you know yeah.
0: it's just it feels like because we're tiptoeing around we're not getting to the core of the problems and yeah. we're still to uh, again with that burden I feel like I'm educating people yeah. and then I'm I'm told oh but we're fine we do you know we do an event here and there and oh, we yes. do this and um, you know we hire people of color but then we're not being inclusive is what I want to say but mm-hmm. then I am I am a person of color perhaps yes. in in that um in that group so then I think oh I I don't want to put myself I've already taken a step forward and they've taken a step back and how do I I can't keep going forward (laughs) because then you know yeah they're really going to keep stepping back I want to bring people forward have you found that same dance yourself and talking to others and how do you deal with it again is it just a matter of do you take a step back or 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 how do you balance that
1: yeah, it, it is a very hard dance to to do, especially because it often feels like you're having the dance by yourself. And yes. that makes it really impossible to even progress anywhere. Um, so I, I'm a strong believer in sort of having everyone participate in the work of making inclusion and diversity, diversity and inclusion possible. I think everyone has a responsibility. It's not just people of color. It's also, you know, white people, people, Mm -hmm. whatever culture and background you're from, because we share the world, you know, we're not living in isolation. So (laughs) all of us have to do our part in making the world equal. So when it comes to navigating the dance, I. So I straddle between frustration <laughs> and really great courage because yes. I, I feel like people have to meet us halfway. You can't, yes. like I said, you can't, you can't do it by yourself. So I, I've, I've tried that and it hasn't worked for me. So having people sort of be interested in the issue, and really genuinely curious about um, how can we make a difference, asking the right questions and showing up and really, truly and just genuinely being present, showing up, yeah. that goes a long way because that begins that process. And when people are willing to do that, I find that they then they can take the next step and the next step and the next step.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think yeah I, uh, I can relate to that. And that's definitely what we're all striving for, I think. Uh, I know how I feel when I hear these phrases Mm -hmm. and I know that they really do come from the best intentions but how do you feel when you hear people say I don't see colour or race doesn't mean anything to me? Uh, I like to talk about bridging the gap between good intentions and effective action in your experience, where are individuals or employers perhaps going into a situation with good intentions but missing the mark in regards to being actually effective?
1: Mm. Oh, that's such a great and important question. So I have a question for you yes. because I because I, this is it's is interesting to think about it because what do we mean by good intentions? Because Mm. the thing that comes up to me in my mind is that when we have conversations about good intentions, sometimes people's defense is that, well, I didn't know. Yes. I I had no idea. So are are we saying then that ignorance is good intention? So I- It's a good way of flipping it around, definitely. I'm curious to hear your
0: thoughts about-
1: because yeah, legally
0: that. that doesn't stand does it ignorance doesn't no. stand um oh I didn't know that we couldn't drive drunk we don't say that that's okay right, right. Hey, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I do get it a lot you know even when we're talking about those microaggressions I mean I have very tight curly hair as well and people say oh that's a compliment to point out to, yeah. to ask to touch your hair that's if right. a compliment you know I mean well by yeah. pointing out your difference because yeah. um yeah but but really maybe they don't mean you know it, it, it's not coming off that way I'm not receiving it that yes. way because they're like the third person that day to, to bring yeah. it up <laughs> all right yes. in a meeting or something like that yes. um so I don't know with with the good intentions I think like you say it, it feels like it's it's a, we revert to that because Mm. we are defensive I get well we see I get so confused because we by we I say I'm an Australian right right but really we I mean (laughs) white Australians which I am not so it's very confusing to be caught between these two identities Mm. Um, one is my internal one and one is the external one Mm. that as you say I wear Mm. but yeah with good intentions you're right it is perhaps coming from a place of ignorance and how do we, how do we bridge that it, gap then? I, what point
1: out that it is ignorance? Is that what you mean? Well, I, I guess my point is that at, at some point, at, at what point does ignorance stop yeah. being the the, the the defense? Because I, I, I feel like that's one of the ones, um, one of the things that we fall back on a lot in our conversations around racism in this country. Um, and, and, and my worry is that you could have a country that's perpetually ignorant. And then that means that we are let off the hook for taking responsibility for the things that we need to be taking responsibility for. So, so sometimes I feel the gap between good intentions and like practical application is is really in the space, I guess, the space where I work in, which is the body, I'm interested in how the body experiences um, things like, you know, racial, racism or microaggressions, like, Mm. because a lot of the times um, the conversation around racism and race and difference, and even just in academic terms, is very cerebral. So you're talking about um, something very logical. And so the body is almost divorced from that experience Mm -hmm. of, the experience and so you come you people make you talk about policies and procedures but and then you need people to kind of align within that policy and procedure to prove that they had any, a particular experience some experiences are invisible like you you can't you can't ex, you can't explain sometimes how you're made to feel excluded in a workspace yeah. for instance and yet you f- you do feel excluded and sometimes um I've had situations where I've ha- I've tried to explain that experience to my mm-hmm. white colleagues and it it it's something that they cannot you know they they can't grasp just can't wrap their heads around yeah. it right yeah yes so I do feel that being able to talk about experience, our experiences, people, people of colors' experiences, has to include the actual embodied experience, mm. and not just you know talking about race in in terms of logical, like a checklist, like a checklist. <laughs> exactly, it's um, got to be both, doesn't it? It definitely mm. has to be both um, because I know you have to educate people and. Like you have to, people have to know what race is, have to know what yeah. racism is. But you can have good intentions, but still be racist. That's yes. the thing that people seem to not really grasp.
0: Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's really powerful. Now I I talk about three points of impact um, when I'm trying to make change in an organization or talking about diversity and inclusion. So it's the individual, uh, our teams, how we work with each other um, and our organizations or a community group even. With, With your experience, what would you suggest all organizations or community groups could implement right away in order to make effective change at these three levels? Uh, when it comes to race or bias in the
1: workplace? Yeah. I think doing the individual work is, like, that has to always be happening. So whether it's, you know, individual employees or leaders in organisations, they, I, I think the work of learning about your own biases, learning about race, like, learning about the experiences of people of colour, of people... Were different from you that has to be like a continuous process and it has to be mm-hmm. happening all the time and then the other thing i could say about how and i guess this ties into your your previous question about bridging so bridging the gap between good intentions and effective action i i think sometimes organizations do this thing where they're like well you have a seat at the table but you have to actually Take it like you have to claim it. Mm. Um, or they'll say you're welcome in this space, but you have to do the work of making yourself feel welcome. Yeah. So I I think organizations can do better in actually spearheading that hospitality, like being mm. the ones that actually make people of color welcome or you know, people of difference who have difference like disability or neurodiversity any kinds of those that group of difference that they should be the ones at the forefront making sure that those that that group of people are actually feeling welcome and that when you the seat at the table that's been given to you you shouldn't have to then fight for it yeah it's you know it should be given to you um, so, I think should you have your name on it. You should have exactly you should have your name on it. I think that would go a long way in, um, yeah, you know, just sort of moving organizations forward in the work of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, great.
0: Now, do you have any resources that you particularly recommend in order? for our listeners to learn more about the topics we've discussed today. Are there books, websites, podcasts that you immerse yourself in um, to learn more? Because like you say, it's really an individual journey uh, to educate yourself.
1: Hmm. So I I like to recommend that people read fiction, actually. <laughs> wow. <because laughs> I, I find, and I, I recommend this to my clients as well. Yes. And they find that they... They acquire a very different perspective of race and difference and culture because a lot of the, being an academic myself, like a lot of the academic material resources yeah. that out there is very, what's the word? Um, clinical? Very, cl- thank yes, very clinical. Thank you. Yes, very clinical. No, that's okay. Very, good, yeah. <laughs> very clinical. And I think reading fiction has a way of immersing you into a world in a much more personal it's very personal you feel it and so getting to learn about different countries and cultures by immersing yourself in the character is actually um, much more effective I find and so I recommend people read people of color authors of people of color um, aboriginal authors Um, so just reading widely I can recommend Chimamanda Um, Ngozi Adiche, Jhumpa Lahiri, like they all write about from the perspective of the immigrant and just the experience of being, um, you know, moving through predominantly white society, but also bringing those issues together and kind of creating harmony in a society I really
0: love that advice I really love that advice because sometimes clinical work is is good as well but I think that would be yeah really immersing yourself in a story even if it's fiction it's coming from the voice right of a person Mm. of color so it'll come from a place of authenticity as well that's and it, it makes it a lot
1: more fun to, to, yes, to immerse it. yourself in that story it's not like that's a textbook well, that's um, right because a lot of people do complain about one of what well, at least to me a lot of my white friends have said to me why do I have to be part of this you know this movement like it doesn't doesn't concern me yes. too much it's too heavy I, I I'm just it's I just can't bear it and so I think your point about it being something that's fun quote-unquote Yes. but you're learning something through that as well
0: that's really cool no I'm gonna get right on that right away I'm gonna get on my audible and start um deep diving into some of those novels that's good how do people learn more about you and the work that you do how do they get
1: in touch with you sunshine so I am online I do have a website so it's sunshinekamaloni.com so I have all you know I have a all the information is up on on there I'm also active or I try to be active on LinkedIn <laughs> so you can find me on LinkedIn it's just sunshinekamaloni and I also am on Instagram but Instagram is more for fiction work so if you are interested in 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 that you could follow me on on Instagram as well
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for responding to my message on LinkedIn. I know I found you on there. Um, Thank you for sharing and for the work that you do and for taking on that load when you can um, and for being gracious enough to also take a break when you need it because the world definitely needs more of you. Thank you for joining me today and I'm really glad that we're connected. Thank you, Claudette. It was a pleasure. Come on my you know my